You ever heard that phrase, out of the frying pan, into the fire? That's a proverb that describes a person who, in seeking to escape a bad situation, gets themselves into an even worse situation. It's interesting to me that every major culture in history has had some proverb like that to describe that kind of scenario. One of the earliest would have been around the uh, turn of the first century. It was a Greek proverb that spoke of someone trying to escape the smoke by running into the flames. Another proverb talks about a rabbit that was running from a dog that was chasing it. The rabbit jumps into the sea to escape only to be eaten by a shark. And then, of course, the one that we're most familiar with, out of the frying pan, into the fire. It comes from an old proverb that spoke of live fish being thrown into a frying pan of boiling oil. And one of the fish says to the others, we need to jump out of here. And they took the advice only to jump into the flames. And the moral is, be careful that when you're trying to escape a bad situation, you don't find yourself in an even worse situation. And you know, fear can drive us to despair. Fear can drive us to discouragement. Fear can drive us to a point where we think we have to make rash decisions to get out of our current pain or our current problem. In fact, here's a question for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, are there times in your life when it feels that God is distant or maybe God's not hearing your prayers or God's not coming through for you like you think he should? And in those moments, you're tempted to make a decision that is a rash decision. And if you're not careful, you look back later and say, I jumped out of the frying pan into the fire. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you know what this means in your own life as well. When you feel like it's all up to you, you can make decisions that you later regret. So who or what do you turn to when you feel God is not coming through? Or who or what do you turn to when you feel like it's all left up to you? Sometimes in those moments of desperation, we want to medicate our pain or we want to push our problems away through alcohol or drugs, sex or pornography, a new relationship or friendship, or we just throw ourselves into our work and we become workaholics. Sometimes we we find ourselves making rash decisions only to look back later and say, I jumped out of the frying pan into the fire. I don't know what that fear might be in your life. Maybe it's the fear that you'll never get married. And so you jump into a relationship that is not healthy. Or maybe you're thinking, this marriage is not going to live through this problem, this time of strife that we're in. And so you give up and think that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. And you look back later, you regret that decision. Or maybe you think that you're not going where you need to go financially. And so you start compromising your values in order to make a little more money. Or perhaps you don't feel like you're being accepted by your peers and you're afraid that you don't live up to their standards, so you lower your standards. You compromise your values. You do things that you wouldn't normally do. 
in order to be accepted by that group. I don't know what that fear is for you, but what do you do? Who do you turn to or what do you turn to when you don't feel like God's going to come through? Or who or what do you turn to when you feel like it's left up to you? The problem is we can jump out of the frying pan into the fire. But there has to be a better way than that. There has to be a different choice that we can make when our fears seem overwhelming. Well, the good news is we're not the first people to deal with this struggle of feeling like we're in a desperate situation so we make desperate decisions. Would it surprise you to know that even the man we're studying in this series called The Story of David, David, a man whom the Bible says was a man after God's own heart, even found himself in a desperate situation where he made decisions he later regretted. And if he could do that, I can as well. Now, last week we left off with the story of the friendship between David and Jonathan. But if you recall, Jonathan's dad, King Saul, was still intent on killing David. And so David has to flee for his life. We discover later in chapter 21 of 1 Samuel that David is running scared. And he goes to a, a village named Nob. And there he meets uh, a Levitical priest, a priest of the Israelites named Ahimelech. And Ahimelech is surprised that David has come to his little village. And he says, why are you here? What's going on? And David doesn't tell him the truth. He doesn't tell him, I'm running for my life from King Saul. Instead, he says, I'm on a secret mission from the king. The king has sent me on a top secret mission. By the way, I was in such a hurry to get on this mission. I didn't bring anything with me. Do you have anything to eat? And the priest says, yes, we have bread. So he gave him bread. And then David says, you know, I also left in such a hurry, I didn't even bring my weapon. Do you happen to have any weapons here? And the priest says, well, it just so happens we do. You wouldn't expect a bunch of priests to have weapons, but, you know, we do. We actually have the sword of Goliath whom you killed. It's right here. It's a big tourist attraction. People come from far and wide to see the sword of Goliath. You remember Goliath? He was that giant over nine feet tall. 125 pounds of armor he wore. A, a huge javelin that he would throw. The tip of the javelin had a, a spear on it that weighed over 15 pounds. I can only imagine how big the sword of Goliath must have been. And David says, that'll do. That'll do. I'll take that sword. And in desperation, David takes the bread, he takes the sword, and he runs. He flees. And he's thinking, I've got to find a way to escape the clutches of Saul. Where can I go where I'll be free from Saul? Where's the last place on earth Saul will look for me? And David, in desperation, says, I've got the place. And David went to one of the five Philistine cities... He went to the city of Gath in Philistine territory, the very city that was the hometown of none other, you guessed it, Goliath, 
This is where Goliath lived. This is where he grew up. He was the hometown hero, and David was the guy who killed him. And David, in desperation, thinks he can run to Gath to flee from Saul and that he can live there undetected while he's carrying around this massive sword that stood out like a sore thumb. Everyone there said, I know that sword. That's not his sword. And listen, do you hear his voice? He's not from around these parts. That guy's got a southern Israel (laughs) accent. He's not from around here. And eventually the word gets out that David is in the city of Gath. The word reaches King Achish of the city of Gath. And David is captured. David is put in prison. And all of the king's advisors are telling him, you've got him. You're going to go down in history. You captured David, the very one who is the king of the land of Israel. The the very one that the women of Israel sing about. Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his ten thousands. And by the way, king, some of those ten thousands that David is purported to kill, that was Goliath. Those were our family members. Those were our friends. Those were our comrades. Those were our brothers in arms. And you've got him where you want him. Now kill him. Cut his head off like he cut Goliath's head off. Parade his body through the streets. David is afraid. He is terrified that he is about to be killed. And so David decides, as he's sitting there in that prison cell waiting for his executioners, that his last hope is to act like he is absolutely insane. That he's lost his mind. Why else would David, of all people, show up in a Philistine city called Gath where Goliath used to live? He must be out of his mind. So the Bible says that David starts scratching at the door like a wild animal, clawing at it. He he starts drooling and letting the spittle run down his beard. He's got this crazy look in his eyes. He's flailing around like a madman. And eventually, the Philistine captors take him to the king. Achish. And the king looks at this crazy, deluded man and says, don't I have enough mad people in my kingdom without you bringing me one more? I got enough crazies to deal with. This is the David that everybody sings about? And out of disgust and pity, King Achish Let's David go. He's no threat. Let him go. I don't even want him in my presence or in my palace. Let him go. And David miraculously escapes the Philistines with his head still on his shoulders. He flees to a cave. And for a short period of time, he is all alone in this cave. And most Bible scholars believe it was in that cave that David wrote Psalm 56. And in this psalm that we're going to look at today, David talks about three decisions he learned to make when he is afraid. He realized he, he wouldn't have put it in these terms, but he realized he had jumped out of the frying pan into the fire when he left Israel and ran to Philistine territory. And God, out of grace, spared his life, and he learned some lessons there. Have you ever blown it and made a mistake and looked back on it and said, Ooh, I learned my lesson. Anybody here besides me? Don't be bashful. Some of you, you, you're, you're just being all spiritual, like you don't want to act like you've ever messed up. 
And David says, I learned some lessons. And I want to share some three decisions that I made that I'm going to make from here on out whenever I'm afraid. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 56. These scriptures and notes are also on our sermon notes page at fcbc.life. I'm going to put them on the screen for you today. But Psalm 56 was written right after David escaped the Philistines in the city of Gath. And I want you to notice the first of the three decisions David made says, I'm going to make when I'm afraid. And these are the same three decisions you and I can make when we're afraid. Look at Psalm 56, verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. David writes, Oh God, have mercy on me, for people are hounding me. My foes attack me all day long. David cries out to God. He cries out to God, I need you to be merciful I need you to be gracious to me, God. I don't deserve what I'm going to ask of you, but I need you to show your loving kindness to me because, God, I am surrounded by people who are hounding me like hounds chase a fox. I'm being hounded day and night by people who are trying to kill me, hounded by King Saul and his henchmen, hounded by the Philistine captors and King Achish. My foes attack me all day long. I can't ever let my guard down. I cannot rest. Verse 2, I am constantly hounded by those who slander me. They're going around lying about me, God. They're going around calling me a traitor to the nation of Israel. They're calling me a traitor to King Saul. They're saying I've committed treason, that I'm worthy of death. They're saying all kinds of evil things about me, God. But God, you and I both know I didn't ask to be the future king of Israel. I didn't conspire against the king. You're the one who's put all this in motion, not me. But people are lying about me, God. And many are boldly attacking me. They're not even doing this in private. They've come out publicly against me. And I think we see here the first decision that David learned to make when he was afraid. He didn't do it when he was in Nob. And he didn't do it when he went to Gath. But now that he's sitting in a cave looking back, he's saying, I've got to do something different. I can't keep living like that. And the first decision, I will confess my fear. I will confess my fears. David begins by acknowledging that the danger is real. The trials are real. The enemies are real. And his fear is real. And his fear has caused him not to make desperate decisions and running from God, but in desperation, run to God. Oh, God, be merciful to me. Can I say that's the first decision we ought to make when we're afraid of the problems of our lives or the pain of our lives in desperation rather than running from God. Let's run to God and let's confess to God our fears. Listen, there's a danger that we must avoid on one hand. It is the danger of ignoring our problems. And we try to ignore our problems or our pain or what causes us fear by drinking away our problems or working away our problems, or trying to entertain ourselves so we don't think about our problems. Or we give up on church, or we stop reading the Bible, and we we just want to ignore our problems. 
We've got to avoid the extreme of ignoring our problems, but we need to avoid the other extreme, and that is during our fear, ignoring God. Sometimes we say, I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like praising God. I don't feel like going to my life group. But that is when you ought to do it the most. That's whenever you need to say, dear God, I'm just going to tell you what I'm dealing with. I'm going to tell you what keeps me awake at night. God, I'm going to tell you what's causing me to cry. I'm going to tell you what's made me afraid. You say, well, doesn't God already know? Yes, but he wants you to know that he wants to know. He wants you to come to him and recognize that without him, you're never going to overcome these fears. And so the first thing David does is he says, I will confess my fears. But he doesn't stop there. He makes a choice of how to respond when he is afraid, not only by confessing his fears, but look at verse 3. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I love Psalm 56, verse 3. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. And that's the second decision that David makes I will confess my fears, and secondly, I will choose faith over fear. I will choose faith in God over my fears. I cannot stop problems and pain from coming into my life that makes me afraid. There are going to be days I face problems or pains that are bigger than me. They're daunting. They're scary. But I can make a choice. I will confess my fears to God, and I will choose faith over fear. David says, when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. Notice what he says in verse 4. I praise God for what he has, look at this word, promised. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me. David says, I'm making a choice in the face of my fear to trade my fear for faith in God. I will always remember a friend of mine who is now with the Lord. Her name was Charlotte. The first time I met Charlotte was actually on the fourth floor of South Georgia Medical Center. Her husband had had a major heart episode. I did not know this family, but one of my church members said, those are my friends. Would you go and, and visit them? So when I got off the elevator, I was immediately confronted with a rush of people, doctors, nurses, paramedics, taking a man down the hallway and down the elevator. And I knew this must be that family. And I said, excuse me, are you the, the herd family? And Charlotte said, yes. And I said, well, I'm Ricky. I'm, I'm the pastor of Gateway Baptist Church. And I was asked to come visit you. What's going on? She says, I don't have time to talk. They're life-flighting him, my husband, to Tallahassee Memorial. He's got to have open-heart surgery. Pray that he makes it to the hospital. And I said, I'll meet you there. So I went back downstairs, got him a car, drove to Tallahassee. By the time I got there, Frank was already in surgery. He came through the surgery well. But sadly, an infection set in. And a few weeks later, Frank died. Not before... In that hospital room, I had led him to faith in Jesus. Charlotte placed her faith in Jesus. I did Frank's funeral. 
And there at the funeral, the graveside, I remember Charlotte sitting there with her two daughters. And then I got to church one morning a few months later, Gateway Baptist Church, and as soon as I sat down in my office around 8 o'clock in the morning, I got a call. Ricky, you need to get to the Heard family. Charlotte's daughter, 19 years old, has passed away. She was pregnant and had an aneurysm. I went back to that same home, met that same grieving family, went back to the same funeral home, went back to the same graveside. And by that point, I was out of words to comfort Charlotte. And I remember kneeling down to her at the graveside, and I said something like this at the end of the service. Charlotte, I love you. I'm here for you. I just don't know what else to say. Charlotte took me by the hand, and she said, Oh, Pastor Ricky, it's okay. I know where Frank is. I know where my daughter and my baby is. And if it weren't for faith in Jesus, I wouldn't be able to face this today. But he's with me. It's okay. You go on. He's with me. Those words stayed with me until this very day. Charlotte's now with Jesus. And I think that's what David is saying. Even when I am deathly afraid of what might happen to me or what is happening to me, I will put my faith in God. And trading your faith for your fears means you put your trust in the Word of God, the promises of God. He says, God, you're the one who promised I'll be king one day, and I know that Saul is trying to kill me. I know the Philistines are killing me, and if they succeed, your promise will fail, but your Word is true, and I'm going to stake my life on the promises that you have made to me. And then he says in verse 4, I praise God for what He has promised. I trust in God. The word, the name he uses for God is Elohim. This is the name of God that speaks of his being the all-powerful, creator, covenant-keeping God. And David says, I'm going to put my faith not only in the word of God, I'm going to put my faith in the power of God. What can puny men do to me when almighty God is on my side? That's what David would later say in Romans Chapter 831, if God be for us, who can be against us? And then notice what he says in verse 5 about his foes. They are always twisting what I say. They spend their days plotting to harm me. They come together to spy on me, watching my every step, eager to kill me. Don't let them get away with their wickedness. In your anger, O oh God, bring them down. David is saying, I'm trading my fear for faith by trusting in the word of God and in the power of God and also in the justice and righteousness of God. God, you're going to have to defend me. You're going to have to plead my cause. You're going to have to stand up for me. You're going to have to defeat my enemies. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verses 18 and 19, if it's possible, as much as depends on you, live at peace with all people. Do not try to repay people who do you evil. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You just trust in God who judges righteously. And Jesus said, pray for your enemies. and Do good to those who persecute you. So David says, I'm just trading my fear for faith by resting in the justice and righteousness of God. But notice what else trading your fear for faith means. Look at verse 8. You keep track of all my sorrows. 
You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. That's a strange sentence. It's hard for us in our modern culture to know what David is saying, but he's saying when it looks like God's distant, when it looks like God is oblivious to what I'm going through, when it may feel like God doesn't care for me, faith says he does. Faith says, God, you are keeping track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. It's a picture of a wineskin, and every teardrop that falls from David's cheek, God is capturing to remember those tears. Some people may not see the tears you shed in your sorrow at night, but God sees them, and God cares. He says, you've recorded each one of my sorrows and each one of my tears in your book. God, you're keeping a record of what I'm going through. Verse 9, my enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. This I know, God is on my side. English Standard Version says, this I know, God is for me. Some of you need to hear this this morning. It'll free you up. Hear Ricky. No, no, better than this. Hear God on the authority of his word. God is for you. God is with you. God is on your side. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what's making you afraid. I don't know what's breaking your heart. But God is with you. You say, Ricky, I don't always feel it. God is with you. Trade your fear for faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Hebrews chapter 11. God is for you. He's not against you. He loves you. And he will not abandon you. And like David, you need to trade your fear for faith by trusting in the word of God, the power of God, the justice of God, and the compassion of God. He cares for you. One of my favorite verses is in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, where the apostle Peter said to people who were being persecuted, Christians who were being hurt and haunted and hunted by their oppressors, Peter writes to them, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that in due season, in his own time, he will exalt you. Cast all your cares on him, knowing he cares for you. Trading your fear for faith means trusting in the promise of God. Someone said there are over 30,000 promises of God in the Scripture. Now, they're not all for us, but many of them are. For example, John 3.16, you feel overwhelmed in your sin and the way you've messed up your life. Jesus promises for God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You're going through a problem and you don't see any good coming out of it and you feel hopeless. God promises in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that he is able to make all things work together for good. Not everything is good, but he can bring something good out of it to those who love him and who are the called according to his purpose. In Hebrews 13, verse 5, God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And when you don't feel me, you just live by faith in me. I'm there. Live by the promises of God. 
Live by the power of God. Your problem is bigger than you, but it's not bigger than God. Live by the righteousness of God. All that's wrong in this world will one day be made right. And that includes your life. All the wrong that's been done to you. God is not going to let that wrong have the last word over you. He's a righteous, holy God. And He defends you. He is for you. He is with you. And trade your fear for faith by remembering He cares for you. He loves you. And there's nothing you can do about it. He'll never love you any more than he does right now. He'll never love you any less than he does right now. Let's continue because there's a a third decision that David is going to make. In verses 10 and 11, he basically reaffirms his commitment from verse 4. And he elaborates on it. He says, I praise God for what he has promised. Yes, I praise the Lord for what he has promised. I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? David says, I will confess my fear and I will choose faith. But there's a third decision David made. Look at verses 12 and 13. I will fulfill my vows to you, O God, and will offer a sacrifice of thanks for your help. David is saying in verse 12, God, I've made a commitment to be a man after your own heart. I'm going to fulfill my vows. And I've made a vow to thank you and to worship you. And I'm going to fulfill my vow out of gratitude for the help that you are going to give me. Verse 13, for you have rescued me from death. You have kept my feet from slipping So now I can walk in your presence, O God, in your life-giving light. Now, yes, God had rescued miraculously David, not by his own machinations of insanity. God rescued David from the Philistines out of his own sheer grace. But David is still hiding in a cave, being hunted by King Saul. David's life is still on the line when he's writing Psalm 56. But he writes in the past tense, you have rescued me from death. You have kept my feet from slipping. So now I can walk in the presence of God in your life-giving light. Even though David is still hunting him, David, even though Saul is still hunting David, David is so confident in the power of God to come through for him, he claims the victory even before he sees the victory. That's living by faith, my friend. And the third decision David made is I will celebrate God's faithfulness. I'm going to celebrate how God has been faithful to me up to this point, And I'm going to celebrate how God will be faithful to me in the future. I don't know how God's going to do it. I don't know when God's going to do it. But I know God's going to come through for me. But I'm going to choose right now to go ahead and to celebrate God's faithfulness. Anybody can celebrate after the fact. Faith is celebrating before the fact, as if it were fact. And that's what David chooses to do. And for some of you, when you come in here on Sunday mornings, I know, I know you are worshiping God by faith. Because when you leave this worship service, you go home to that problem. Don't name him, but you go home to that problem. Or you go home to that debilitating pain that you live with. Or you go home to that broken marriage. Or you go home to that wayward child. 
Or you go home to those financial situations that seem like they're going to bring bankruptcy into your life. You go home to that situation that feels hopeless and helpless. But whenever you're here, what you're doing is you're getting yourself ready for the going there. You're coming in here and you're confessing your fear. And you're choosing faith over fear. And you're celebrating God's faithfulness to you up to this point and what he is yet to do. And you're saying, as a follower of Jesus, if I can trust him with my salvation, I can trust him with my situation. I'm just going to live by faith. And that doesn't mean your problems automatically go away. This is not a health and wealth prosperity preaching church. while your problem may not immediately go away, the good news is your God will never go away. And he will have the last word over you. And so you too, even in the midst of your trial, can say, God, I praise you. I celebrate your faithfulness, for you have rescued me from death. And listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that has already been done for you. When you place your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's the greatest miracle that you will ever experience, that you were taken out of spiritual death and given spiritual life. You were taken from separation from God to a relationship that will never end with him. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly, John chapter 10, verse 10. And you have been delivered from spiritual death. And even if we die in this side of Christ returning, we're all going to die one day. We can say like the Apostle Paul, that's okay. Either way, I win. To live is Christ. As long as I live, I'm just going to live for Christ. To die, that's gain. I just get to go and be with Christ. Either way, I win. I'm just going to trust God who has delivered me from death. You've kept my feet from slipping. And now I walk in your presence. Dear friend, will you trade your fear? For faith by trusting in God. That's the decision David had to make. Rather than jumping out of the frying pan into the fire, jump out of the frying pan into faith in God and know that he will never let you down. Can you imagine what would happen if we start living like this? Parents, if we start living like this, trading our fear for faith, our children will see an example in us of how to handle the problems of life. Can you imagine the fortitude that we will find from the Spirit of God in our lives when we stop living by our emotions and our fears and what people say about us and how problems make us feel and we trade fear for faith in God? Can you imagine the spiritual vitality that will come? Can you imagine this community, lost and without Jesus, looking at ordinary people like me and you, saying, how do they handle that? How do they handle that? And we can then say, I'm not handling it. I just have a God to whom I can confess my fears. I choose to trust him by faith. And I celebrate his faithfulness. And that same God can be your God as well. And I can just imagine people saying, I see that difference God has made in your life. I want what you have got. So here's your application. Here's what you do with what you've heard. I want you to memorize Psalm 56 verse 3. 
And before you push back, oh, I can't memorize scripture. Come on, it's 11 verses. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. Why don't we say that out loud together? You say it with me. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Psalm 56, verse 3. Say it again. Say it louder like you mean it. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Psalm 56, verse 3. I want you to memorize that verse. And when you get up in the morning, I want you to say, God, when I am afraid today, I will put my trust in you. I will not let fear rule over my emotions. I will not let fear push me to make rash decisions. I will put my trust in you. I confess to you what makes me afraid. I'm going to choose by faith to trust you. And I'm going to celebrate your faithfulness in my past, in my present, and in my future. I know that you're a faithful God. And so whenever that fear creeps up in your heart, whenever those lies that you've been told all your life, slandering you or slandering God, come back. You just say, when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. Psalm 56, verse 3. And imagine the difference it's going to make in your life. Maybe today you're not a follower of Jesus. Can I tell you, God wants you to let him into your life. God doesn't want you facing your problems alone. Jesus is the one who said, in this world, you're going to have tribulations. You're going to have problems. You're going to have trials. But Jesus said, in this world, you'll have tribulation, but, but it's okay. Be of good cheer. I've got good news for you, Jesus says. He says, I have overcome the world. You say, what? Look at all the brokenness in this world. How has he overcome the world? Dear friend, the empty tomb the empty tomb is the proof that if he could conquer death, hell, sin, the grave, what can't he handle? He says, you're going to have troubles. It's okay. I've overcome the world. Just put your trust in me. Trade your fear for faith in me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we thank you for the example of David. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. And we too can make that same commitment. And I pray, Father, that every follower of Jesus would do it if they're going through a trial now or be prepared when that frightening trial comes. And it will come. Thank you for being our faithful God. Thank you for being the mighty, exalted Creator God, we confess our fears to you. We, we choose faith over fear and we celebrate your faithfulness, past, present, and future. And Father, if there's anyone in this room today who's never received Jesus as their Savior, I pray that right now, God, that they will say, Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I thank you for dying for my sin on the cross and I believe you rose from the dead. And today I put my faith in you. I put my trust, my confidence in you to do what you said you would do. And that is to forgive me and to give me the gift of eternal life and a right relationship with God the Father. Thank you that I don't have to face my fears alone. I can trade my fear for faith in you. And I do that today. Now, friend, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you've received Jesus today for the first time, let me know that. Go to fcbc.life and... 
Use the Let's Connect card and just put in the comment section, today I trusted Jesus. All that's going to do is let me know so that I can celebrate with you. And listen, if I can help you in any way to learn more about Jesus, I want you to feel free to reach out to me. Maybe if you don't want to go to the website, just use that Let's Connect card in the seat pocket in front of you. Or better yet, what's really quick, just go to the back where it says, what is your next step? A guest services volunteer will be there. And just say, today I prayed with Ricky to receive Jesus as my Savior. We're just going to celebrate with you. Not going to embarrass you. Not going to make you fill out any paperwork. We just want to rejoice in your new faith in Christ. And be a church here to help you in any way that we can. Father, have your perfect will and way in all of our lives as we respond to you right now in faith and obedience. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.